marketing is completely transformed. It's just a lot more fun now. I'm a big fan of this idea that people should begin with the end in mind. You're probably not thinking about marketing in the right way. There's a good way and a bad way to do this, and the good way to do this actually efficiently puts capital to work. I wanted to help people avoid this early stage tool chain-itis. Welcome to The Pitch Room. I am Malia Powers with Heavybit. On this show, we regularly talk about all things PR, including current events, crisis comms, PR tools and tips, reputation management, all with a special focus on developer communications. Each episode will bring you actionable tactics and strategies that you can implement today for real business results. If you're interested in being a guest or have a subject that you would like to hear about, email us at press at heavybit.com. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the pitch room today. We're going to be talking about marketing strategies for young startups. And I'm thrilled to welcome Miko Matsumoro to this episode. He is the CMO at Gradle. Welcome. Great. Thanks a lot. Nice to be here. Yeah, little Miko uh, is a member of Heavybit as part of Gradle, so I have the pleasure of working with him on a very regular basis. He works out of the clubhouse here at Heavybit, so yeah, think, thanks again. Oh yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'd love to hear for our audience just a little bit about your background at Gradle. And... Yeah, so I've been in this Silicon Valley for about, say, 20 years or so, and I got my start, first of all, as a developer. Okay. So I started uh, working at Wired Digital in South Park here in San Francisco, and uh, I was a programmer back then. Uh, one of the things that happened to me that was pretty crazy to me is I got obsessed with Java, and it was pretty early days back in 1994. And so I ended up joining the Sun Microsystems uh, Java okay. team, the the original Java team. And I just realized at the time that I was super outgunned by all the programming talent there. So I crossed over to the dark side and became a marketer. Okay, very cool. So an engineering marketer. Yeah, so I like to consider myself to be what I call a a geek marketer turned marketing geek. So (laughs) I I really, uh, you know, love the techie side of the world. And, you know, I remember just being like, 14 years old uh, on my Atari 400 computer in my you know in my bedroom just making games and things you know so I, I definitely have geek affinity but what I love about what's happened to full stack marketing automation and quantitative marketing is that it's just turned back into a scientific nerdy playground so marketing is completely transformed and now it's uh, you know it's just a lot more fun now yeah yeah. I think uh, successful marketing really requires that you have a great product and great marketing uh, in combination. There's all those quotes that you're always reading that nothing kills a bad company faster than uh, good marketing. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit about how, as a young startup out there, you can kick off uh, your marketing strategy. Like, what foundations need to be set? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the thing that I, I wanted to talk about here is just how to avoid big mistakes, right? I mean, to be honest, I've been in this game for 20 years and you know, I've been through a number of startups. I've probably raised or been a party to raising, you know, certainly tens of millions of dollars. I'm an LP for an 800 million dollar venture fund. I'm in a angel syndicate. 
you know, so there, there's a ton of experience that I have around things like venture capital and raising money. And to be honest, like in an early stage of company, it's not all about execution. It's really about synchronizing your execution and aligning the output of your marketing systems to produce the appropriate metrics that interface the company for its next funding milestone. Okay. So, uh, you know, the theme I'm going to uh, push today is really about how early stage companies really just mess themselves up with how they do their marketing. How they kind of back into marketing, and how they uh, could really do themselves a lot more favors uh, in this whole field. Yeah, no, that's an interesting topic, and I don't think I've heard that point of view about how you need to really back into marketing. I think a lot of people think you need to approach it um, head first. Well, I, I think you need to not back in, but what I'm really trying to emphasize here is I'm trying to emphasize that you really have to think about what the objectives of Marketing should be. Typically, what happens in early stage marketing is that marketers either come in with kind of uh, junior sales reps or the you know the executives themselves are doing sales. But really, typically, you'll you'll have a, a marketer come in before pure salespeople, right? And the thing that's interesting about you know, for example, in a SaaS company, one of the benchmarks is to bring in a VP of sales at your first around one million dollars ACV. Net to date, so you know it's interesting to see that marketing often precedes that. But the mindset that I see in marketing is often pretty unhealthy. Like one of the things that I see happening is this kind of like perfunctory marketing mindset, right? Where people are like, "Oh, well, we need to take care of events, or we need to take care of, like we we need a we need a logo or a T-shirt, or we need pens, or we need you know." So so people start looking for things like laptop stickers and this kind of thing, and really like. What they're ignoring is they're ignoring really what their primary objective should be. So, you know, I'm a big fan of this idea that people should begin with the end in mind, right? And, sure. and my notion of what a startup company is and should be is basically a sprint to the next funding milestone. And so, if you're thinking about it properly, what you should be thinking about is you should be thinking about building your funding pitch, whatever stage you're at. Build your next funding pitch now, because what will happen is, is that you'll have a slide deck that will give you key quanti- quantitative metrics, and that those metric outputs should be the targets for your marketing organization. So, to me, that's uh, you know that's something that you have to begin with. Once you have that mindset, then you can actually begin to entertain the types of systems that will get you there. The other mistake that I see people making early on in marketing. Is thinking about tool tool chain because sure. what they often do is one of the things that's really sad that I see is that there's a lot of kind of senior advisors that float around the industry in a lot of topics. So, for example, senior advisors exist in areas like raising venture capital, yeah. and that's a handy function. But people don't actually think marketing is something that requires senior advisors. It's very confusing. People think, oh, let's just get a junior marketer in here and they'll do the things that need doing, right? And what are the the things that need doing? Like, oh, well, we need t-shirts or we need someone to like set up our booth at the event or schlep things around, you know? And so what they're not really understanding is they're not understanding the depth and extent to which marketing and venture capital have become effectively the same game. 
The reason why marketing and venture capital have become the same game is that the marketer is the person in the organization that's the most obsessed with growth and repeatability. Yep. So that's basically my my pitch. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it really is this idea of growth hacking in terms that it's not about meetups, it's not about your t-shirt, but it's how what metrics will lead you to the place that you want to be and how are you going to be growing your company? Would you agree or how do you feel about this term growth hacking? Yeah, so to me I really object to the concept of hacking. Uh, the reason why is that the concept of hacking is not about systematic and repeatable results, right? Sure. It's about a short-term win, right? And to me, I realize that companies need to be scrappy and they need to kind of invent new paths into the market. Uh, I think there may actually be a better term growth engineering, which is a technical discipline. Yeah. But engineering has a much better quality of investment and scale. But I guess what I wanted to think about here is if you're a Let's say you're a startup CEO, right? So one of the there's there's two major gating factors. One of them is is that you're probably not thinking about marketing in the right way. Okay. And you know, to me, the way to think about marketing is really just to think about investment in the growth curve, right? So what you should be thinking about is what are the primary KPIs and how do you drive them by at least six to eight percent. Growth compounding on a monthly basis, yep. right? And so that's really about the doubling intervals. And ultimately, what you need to do is think about the stage of company and you need to think about what the stage appropriate KPIs are. So, you know, one of the things that you can actually do to radically accelerate the value of your company is actually to start generating later stage KPIs earlier. So, what I mean to say by this is that. Um, let's say you're a seed stage company. Okay. Right? What happens if your company is able to generate growth stage KPIs? So here are some growth stage KPIs that are really interesting. Cost of customer acquisition, sales efficiency, opportunity to close. Right? These are really interesting concepts. What about you know, monthly recurring revenue, annual contract value, average revenue per customer? These are really interesting growth metrics, right? So here's the thing is what kinds of tool chain are going to enable you to quantitatively assess these measurements? Yeah, I think yeah, the tool chain's important and another big question is how do you bring these these metrics back to give credit to the marketing team? Like how yes. Yes. Part of this is it like a marketing automation platform or is everything funneled through one channel that you're able to you know give the credit that the marketing team deserves. Yeah, so that's very interesting, right? And I think the word the word credit is probably, you know, closer to a later stage mindset, but you know, attribution is is meaningful. I think one of the dirty secrets of for example, on the B2B side is that attribution is kind of dirty in the sense that, you know, on average you're going to see probably 14 touches between awareness and closed one. Sure. So it's definitely hard to have campaign level attribution. However, you are going to want to have closed loop reporting. Right. And so, regardless of the marketing automation system that you put in place, typically you're going to want to establish closed loop reporting 
in the form of Salesforce campaigns. And you're going to want to push marketing automation data down into Salesforce to have that synchronization. Whether you're using HubSpot or Pardot or Marketo yeah. or whatever stack you're using, you, most of that reporting is going to come all the way down into Salesforce in order to get that coordination all the way through to the closed one state. So that that's how that reporting ought to be done. But the thing that I wanted to help people avoid is I wanted to help people avoid this kind of early stage tool chain itis, right? Which is okay. that which is that a lot of early stage companies get really addicted to these kind of cool new tools like, oh I don't need Salesforce that's heavyweight. So I'm gonna use this cool new tool or or you know, I'm gonna use a highly specialized tool like an intercom instead of a CRM, you know, and yeah. just get addicted to these user interfaces. Cause I can tell you like the critical path to generating growth company KPIs is long, and the reason why it's long is is that you need six, like if you want to generate an opportunity to close cycle, you need at least one opportunity to close cycle amount of time to generate that data, and if you want to generate it reliably, you need at least two. So let's say you have a thirty-day opportunity to close cycle, you're already two months out from actually having that data, right? And that's a really Fast turn opportunity to close, right? Some people have longer sales cycles, right? So the thing that happens is, is that's the start date if you look at the critical path from when you actually have the system fully operational to begin doing that measurement, right? Sure. So then you have to add to that the yeah. implementation time for the tool chain. So what I'm telling you is, is that you shouldn't be dawdling and you shouldn't be getting addicted to like really early stage tool chain because you're just gonna like end up using that and you're going to forego having mature tools that you can actually use to scale and take to VCs. Yeah, yeah. I guess the part that I'm struggling a little bit with is like legacy systems like a Salesforce is you just feel like other products aren't mature enough that, you know, you can't be an early user on some of these like early tools replacements. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I mean, the the word legacy is funny. Right. Obviously, Salesforce is is getting long in the tooth. There's a mm-hmm. lot of newfangled tools, and you know, at the end of the day, you can probably dump out from whatever newfangled tool it is and import it into Salesforce whenever sure. you're ready. So, I mean, you know, there's certainly ways that you can hack around this in the early stage, and you know, every company starts with the sales. You know, Google spreadsheet or some really simplistic CRM, and you know that's actually perfectly normal. But what I do want to make sure that people understand is that you know there's going to be a reckoning, and so people need to kind of look ahead, right? Because ultimately, you're going to want to get the jump on these things. And the reason why the jump is so important is is that you know startups are powered by rocket fuel, and the rocket fuel that they have in their tank is their equity. And as soon as they burn their equity, burning equity basically means converting it into cash, right? Okay. And at each stage of your rocket, you're basically burning fuel, and that the fuel is burned at a different speed. And really, the speed that you burn the fuel is gated by the cost of equity. So if you burn all your equity in the first few rounds, you're done. You're not going to reach orbit. You're going to fall back to Earth, and you'll be a sad puppy. So the way to avoid that is. Drive the value of your company as quickly as possible. Drive the maturity and evolution of your company towards a sophisticated and robust style of company quickly and to generate growth company metrics as soon as you possibly can. Even if you're just kicking it at the seed stage, if you can start generating growth company metrics, people start sitting up and taking notice of you. Yeah, so something I thought you said interesting earlier was that you should start building your fundraising deck 
now for your next round. So if you're Series A company, then you should start maybe looking, building your metrics into a Series B deck uh, for when you're going to go raise uh, money. Can you give an example of like what those KPIs will look like in the deck or some sample growth metrics that you would use in a VC yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's say you've raised Series A. So your Series A investor is going to be your 100% best partner to build a Series B deck, a pitch okay. deck. That person actually, their entire livelihood is dependent on you successfully raising Series B. And so they're going to be super excited to help you. And you know that person will probably be sitting on, say, 12 board seats and, you know, Probably eight of them are currently out raising Series B, and so you know th- this person knows a lot about this problem set. Yeah. So you're going to want to bring that to this person, and you know what they're going to have is they're going to let's say you're a SaaS company, right? So SaaS companies, uh, you know what I really recommend is that you spend some time on Tom Tungus's blog. Uh, really great yeah. blog gives you a lot of information about things like SaaS metrics, and the things that are most important are. You know what's your model and what are your comparables, right? And so the the absolute crystal clear most important things are, you know, what is your average revenue per customer? Okay. As soon as you have average revenue per customer, you can actually start to forecast, and you can start to think about things like, you know, what is your opportunity to close cycle? And then as soon as you start thinking about that, you can start calculating things like what is average quota per rep, and you can start looking at forecasts, and you can start thinking about all these things. So you can really kind of back calculate everything from, you know, average revenue per customer and you know average selling price. So average selling price is really interesting, and then eventually you're going to want to be able to generate things like cost of customer acquisition, lifetime customer value, and some of these kind of metrics. Interesting. Okay. And one question I had about when it comes to like forecasting forward, what is your uh, opinion on like, building marketing into your product? Like something like I believe uh, Dropbox is really vocal about this and how they built marketing. Um, they have like a referral program both ways, and they have claimed to you know increase their customer base by thirty five percent, I believe, in the last couple years purely by building this viral effect into their. Marketing is this something that you can calculate as a future KPI? Is like, what's your opinion? Oh my God, I, I love, love, love this kind of stuff. This is all music to my ears, right? Because really, what you're trying to do as a marketer is you're actually trying to maintain a very low CAC cost of customer acquisition, uh-huh. right? And so the extent to which you can actually go over, hang out with your product team, and actually have your product sell itself, it's astonishing what you can do. So, for example, if you look at what Atlassian is doing, you know, their sales efficiency, which is basically the multiplication of revenue generated by a spend in sales and marketing, you know, it's above two. It's like two and a half to yeah. three, right? It's astonishing sales efficiency. And it's because the product sells itself, right? And yeah. that is a beautiful thing. And by the way, the way as a CMO, the way I define marketing is automation of transactional outcomes. And one of the transactional outcomes is revenue, right? So if you're able to automate revenue, then marketing suddenly becomes obsessed with product design, it becomes obsessed with customer success, it becomes obsessed with just renewal revenue, all these kind of things become super awesome. And you know, you really that's what I mean when I say that marketing is super aligned to the VC game sure. because they're the people that want to see a money machine because that's what they're going to want to invest in. Yeah, yeah, figuring out how 
you can yeah, expand your growth of every single user recommends your product to someone else. That right there is like exponential. Exactly. Growth exactly. In and and the way that this becomes marketing is that you get scores like NPV, right? Net promoter value. Yep. And that that is really a marketing. I mean, people say that's a customer success metric. But ultimately, it's a psychological metric, right? It's like, how much would you want to promote our product? That's a brand issue, and yeah. it's you know, it's really about brand delivery and product. But at the end of the day, like, it's a psychological thing. Yeah. So the the, the NPS, the, the Net Promote Score. Um, my understanding is it's like a test where you ask your users the question, maybe like one through ten, how likely are they to recommend this product to a friend, and if the aggregate score is going to be over nine, then you're you're in a good space. Is that is that how you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly kind of what I meant by that. And okay. and by the way, like you know, the things that happen in context of things like Dropbox, like that's in some ways doing net promoter score, net promoter value one better, right? Which is instead sure. of just wasting the person's time asking them if they would recommend, you know, if you actually get them to spend that time actually recommending your product, you're 10x better. But you know, products these days like. They have built-in hooks for things like Gainsight and you know other customer success tools that kind of automatically use and you know net promoter score, net promoter value to uh, kind of benchmark how you're doing in product. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I've read a lot of articles about how like Hotmail and who else? Uh, Hotmail was a long time ago, but um, like Snapchat, uh, a company called Mailbox. They've all come out and said that they have gotten, they've acquired, they acquired millions of users without any marketing, uh, without any marketing function. So to your point earlier about like a lot of people hire sales first and bring in someone that's too junior. Like, what point of a young startup should they bring in a marketing person to start executing against? So, so I'm a huge fan of the junior marketing hire. Okay. Backed by senior marketing advisor, sure. that pattern okay. is a great pattern. Now, one of the things that's funny about what you're saying is, is that there's a two-edged sword in what you're saying, right? Which mm-hmm. is the two-edged sword in what you're saying. That there's a wonderful tweet by Mark Andreessen that says, "The companies that come in telling me how much growth they've achieved without spending a penny on sales and marketing are not actually saying to me what they think they're saying." Right, and and it's definitely suggesting yeah, that he's yeah. a little embarrassed for them. Right? Uh-huh. That he, that they seem to be super proud of this. Right now, the thing is, what I the reason why I say it's two edged is is that in a way, paradigmatically, this is new school marketing. Right, in the sense that sure. if you have a product that sells itself, you're you're generating a very very good cost of customer acquisition and it's very cheap right but the fact is is that you know if you're not doing this kind of under the guidance of marketing in an organized context you know you may find yourself without the data systems that are necessary to scale and that's what I think Mark Andreessen is pointing at which is yeah. that there's a good way and a bad way to do this and the good way to do this actually Efficiently puts capital to work, right? So what the next round growth capitalists want to see is they want to see a machine that's built to put a ton of capital to work. And if if you're like, oh well, we've already, you know we don't need yep. to do it; it's automatically happening for free. 
there's just this intrinsic feeling of lack of scale and you know just there's just irritation right it's like what do I what am I investing in you you know if it sells itself we'll just we'll just keep our money out and you can just have your IP on your own yeah yeah <laughs> i think that a lot of times they just think they're a unicorn and don't need it and that it might even just be fear of getting started it's really tough to like, differentiate your marketing I think there's a study that between like one you like the average person will see between 1,000 and 5,000 like advertisements per day. Um, so it's figuring out how do you make like how do you be a shepherd and not a sheep in this market. Something that I'm really interested in is like brain science and cognitive science, and there's this process known as Gestalt, um, and it's like the more similar things that you see, the less impact. They're gonna have um, so it's like how do as a, how, as a young company, especially a developer tool company selling a highly technical product, um, how do you come across as like give yourself a personality and like kind of make more headlines and get that process started? Yeah, this is a really phenomenal topic to me, and I'm very excited about this because I think that we're at the early stages where there's actually beginning to be some interest in the concept of branding sure. in the developer space. Now I realize this is really kind of sounding like oil and water at this point, yeah. but when you start to see the kind of investments that uh, GitHub is making in in things like Octocad and Octodex and you know what's happening with the Docker whale and all of his octopus friends and penguins <laughs> and whatnot, like you know, the whole concept of the geek mascot is starting to kind of take sure. off. And so, you know, it's really interesting. I think these investments are based on a pretty sound logic. And the sound logic is is that developers actually spend hundreds of hours in tool and that these interactions are actually meaningful brand opportunities, right? So sure. I think one of the things that's super interesting is is the extent to which a product can actually embody a set of principles that are aligned to a company brand. And so I think that these things are, you know, and there's a there's a bit of a subtlety that comes with this, but you know, I think it's increasingly becoming almost like the idea that code is is media and that, you know, we yeah. need to kind of use those impressions. I'll give you a Gradle example. Yeah. Which is um you know, one of our customers is generating three hundred thousand Gradle build events per week, and you know, each one. These are not automated events; these are you know specific developer-triggered interactions, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think about three hundred generating three hundred thousand impressions per week, that's actually now in the meaningful realm of brand marketing. Yeah, and you can actually do something with that. So, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's interesting that you say code is media. Something else that I think is relevant for developer uh, companies is that like the importance of like documentation is also an excellent opportunity to kind of show your company's vibe and your culture. It's a huge part of content marketing. Like your documentation should be beautiful. It shouldn't be kind of this like janky word document. Well, it would never be a word document, but you know what I mean. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think this is where the magic. Begins and the challenge also begins, right? Which is that successful execution of programs like this suddenly require new school marketing to the extent that it involves straddling what traditionally have been silos, right? So traditionally it's like, oh, well, you've got documentation sitting in engineering and now you have marketing over here and then never the two shall meet. And so, you know, what you really need is the ability to 
you know, successfully integrate and create coherence. And I think the coherence generally comes from having a deep and meaningful, you know, concept, the ability to convince others that, you know, even others in your same organization, because if you're not able to convince others in your organization about, you know, the brand essence, then you're not really going to get consistent results when you scale up to like two, three, four, five hundred people. Sure. If it's okay with you, Miko, I actually wanted to jump ships with you a little bit back to something you said earlier, in that the marketing lacks influencers and advisors. Why do you think that is? And are there networks that you would recommend, or how can we help solve this problem? Yeah, I think in a way what happened in a short time is that marketing transformed itself and a lot of people who aren't marketers just didn't really notice. So I think the thing that's funny about it is is people seem to have this old school logo on a pen mindset around marketing that's still kicking around, you know, it's all laptop sticker mindset. And the thing that's really interesting is how deeply quantitative it is. I mean, yeah. I think some of the better entrepreneurs are, are you know, they they kind of hear these words like uh, demand generation, and they're able to kind of quickly wrap their heads around things yeah. like growth and and things like that. But you know, really, in terms of kind of having a depth of discipline around this, uh, you know, it's definitely an emerging uh, craft and phenomenon. Um, you know, so I, I would say, you know, the best thing that you can do if you're, you know, a non-marketing entrepreneur is just get some buddies. You know, like connect yeah. with people. Uh, you know, look for look for meaningful hubs like uh, Heavybit. You know, look for who the content experts are who are, you know, presenting information. You know, generally just kind of hook up with people who seem to be in the vanguard because you know the the mindset shift has occurred. And uh, you know, marketing is really now kind of the the most aligned organization to the whole venture capital industry because that's where your growth is. Interesting. What I wanted to just mention is that you know the the pattern of stage appropriate marketing is really uh, I think a pretty new problem. I think it used to be sufficient to have junior marketers early. But I think the pattern of having a junior marketer augmented by senior marketing advisor is is more urgent now than ever. And the reason why is that what happens is that the pattern there's a pattern reversal, and the pattern reversal is is that the scale of marketing organization has to do with actually building instrumented cockpits for specific roles. So for example, what happens is that a marketing organization actually grows from the engine outward okay. and that a properly designed marketing organization actually revolves around the engine and you're building cockpits for people that can then join the company and the company can scale on that basis, right? So in a way, you're really taking almost an engine first approach. And I think if that's the case, you know, you you can't necessarily afford straight out of the gate to get a senior marketing person in place, but at the same time, you don't want to overly delay that, or you'll cripple your ability to scale when you need it. Because people used to just think, "Oh, we need ten times more marketing. Let's just get ten times more marketers, and sure. it'll get done." But you know, without an engine these days, that's not going to serve you. Yeah, and then how do you differentiate the job functions between the senior marketing person and the junior marketing person? Like, what goals and objectives are in each of their own plates? 
Yeah, so the thing that's really important about this separation is is that, you know, in the early stages, the senior marketing person is really only going to be around for maybe a monthly check-in, you know, review of the numbers, mm-hmm. talking about kind of tool chain, you know, providing advice about KPIs. It's going to be a strategic function. I think, you know, ground level execution is really going to be gated by, you know, the person who's full-time which will be, you know, the more junior person. So it's really to me, you know, there's a strategy function and an execution function and you know, the I think for a senior person an advisor role is sufficient because, you know, you just want to make sure that uh, you're aligning to your strategy, right? And I think the strategy of a good marketer is governed by the slides and the KPIs that you want to produce sure. at your next funding milestone. So that, you know, and in a way a good marketer will actually be ahead of the game. And they'll actually be the one driving the process of building that deck. Even if you just raised A, they're going to be building B straight out the gate. Yeah, and when you define junior as a senior marketing person, I imagine you've had quite a few junior people that you have mentored um, under you. What is it when you're in your hiring that what, what certain skill sets are you looking for? What are you looking for on the resume? So um, the only thing that matters to me is coachability. Sure, that's the only thing that matters, and the the. The faster the person can absorb new information and patterns, the better. And they absolutely don't need any background in anything. You know, one of the things that's fascinating is is that people who have team sports backgrounds tend to do reasonably well because of factors of coachability. Yep. And uh, you know, there just needs to be no defensiveness, and there just needs to be a very high intensity appetite to learn the I game. I have the tiger. That's right. So if you're if you're hungry and you want to learn the game, uh, you're extremely coachable. You know, just give me a ring, and you know you can easily find a home here or anywhere in a dozen companies that I advise. Great. Well, that's all I had on my plate to talk about, uh, Miko. It's been great having you on the show. Any final closing thoughts? Uh, no, it's been a blast, and you know, definitely uh, watch out for these big potholes. And you know, if you're just starting your company, or even if you're in a Series A or B stage, you know marketing is uh, completely game changed, and so you know you just want to make sure that that you don't take the old school marketing into the new school of uh, market. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pitch Room, brought to you by Heavybit. Heavybit is a nine month program and community for developer facing startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com.